Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are from this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man... Then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. The grass withers and the flower fades. You may be seated. As we come to God's Word, we need His Spirit to help us, to teach us, to illuminate His Word in our hearts. So let us begin with a moment of prayer. Lord, we thank You for revealing Yourself to us, for giving us Your Word that we might know You, that we might trust in You, that we might have life through Christ. We pray that Your Spirit would be at work as we hear Your Word, as we consider it, as we're changed by it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're continuing in this section in John's Gospel. And just to give you a little background on where we're at, in case you weren't here last week or you missed a week or this is your first time, Jesus has been in the temple during the Feast of Booths. And the Feast of Booze was one of the biggest feasts of the Jewish calendar. Lots of people would have come to town. It was an eight-day festival where they would have lived in kind of tents to remind them of the time when they wandered in the wilderness. 
And it's no surprise here the, the imagery that Jesus brings out, right? This is that passage. Maybe we've all heard it. I am the light of the world. It's one of the seven I am statements in John's gospel. Jesus takes upon his lips that phrase, I am. It was a hearkening back to the divine name of the Old Testament God that was yet to be fully revealed in Christ. And so he says, I am the light of the world. But if you remember last week, he talked about giving waters, rivers of living water. Well, this idea of water and light were the two major themes at the time of the Feast of Booths. I I said last week, if they were going to make a big church poster like we would do nowadays, it would have water pouring out and it would have like a candle or a torch. There were two rituals in particular that they would have had in mind as Jesus was there. The first was the water pouring ceremony where the priest would have brought up this water, this fresh water and poured it out as a reminder of God providing water for them in the wilderness. And at nightfall... They would have lit torches in the light ceremony. And everybody would have had a torch as a reminder that the Lord, in a pillar of fire, led his people through the wilderness. And so Jesus, in chapter 7, talking about water being a fulfillment of the water that God gives, God's blessing to his people, and especially pointing ahead to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, as we discussed last week. And now Jesus is moving on to the second imagery. Imagine, if you will, the night before they had all participated in this ceremony, seeing this great light. And remember, this is the first century. Water is scarce. If you don't live by a nice fresh stream, you might have to spend a significant amount of your day going and getting water. And light would have been the same way. They didn't have, you know, the light switch to turn on. You would have had to kindle yourself a fire. When nightfall came, you would have had to cease working. And so this light ceremony, reminding them of the imagery of God leading them by fire. And then Jesus showing up saying, I'm the light of the world. That light that you are remembering, that light that's being brought before you to remind you of that glory of God before you. That all points to me. Jesus is telling us that he is the true source of light. So the big idea here, the main idea of our passage that we're going to to kind of center around is that Jesus is the true light that we must follow. Just as the Israelites had to follow that pillar of fire, that light to guide them, so it is. Jesus is the fulfillment of that For all of his people. Not just over there in history, this one-time event, but an ongoing ministry of his revelation in the world. But too often when we think of Jesus as the light we must follow, if we're honest with ourselves, we are wayward people often following other things, seeking life in other things. Maybe blinded to the light that we ought to see. As we'll see in this passage, that's happening with many of the people that listen to Jesus. And so it should be no surprise to us that we are not a whole lot different. But as Jesus leads us, as Jesus is the light that we're supposed to follow, he he leads us in three ways. Well, three points today in our sermon. And that's that he leads us to life, that he leads us to the Father, 
and that he leads us through his death. This will be our three points today. Leads us to life, he leads us to the Father, and he leads us through his death. Now, we've been going through John's Gospel for quite some time now, uh, and I don't assume that you remember or were even here for our first sermon, and that was John chapter 1. And one of the things I pointed out to you that hopefully has helped along the way is that John's first chapter is really an outline for all that he's going to talk about. If you, if you notice as you read through John's Gospel, there's cycles. John, is, he's got really key words he likes to use a lot over and over. He's highlighting the times in which Jesus talked about these things, and he summarizes it at the beginning of his Gospel. One of these main themes throughout John's Gospel is the theme of light. Just the opening verses of John, I'll read them to you to remind you of this outline that Jesus is now giving us some content for. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, it's John the Baptist, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own And his own people did not receive him. How often we've seen this playing out, coming to his own people, the people of God in Israel, who ought to have received him. And yet, time and time again, he is rejected. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And so, so much of that introductory paragraph, right, it's all talking about Jesus coming, being eternally existent with the Father divine, and coming into the world as the light, coming into the darkness of the world as the light, the light that gives life. Jesus leads us to life. Beginning in verse 12 here, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what Jesus is bringing out here, it's the same imagery we had at the beginning of John's gospel, is this contrast between light and darkness. And life, and implied here, is death. Between light and darkness, life and death. Jesus' light brings us into life instead of death. And when we hear darkness, when we hear death, we should especially have in mind the idea of sin, as Jesus will get into later on in this discourse. In chapter, or verse 21, he says this, I'm going away and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. He says to them, you are from below, I'm from above, I'm from heaven. You're from this world, I am not of this world. Verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. 
There are only two categories that Jesus is presenting here. There is only one true source of light and life. It's either light or it's darkness. It's either life or it's death. It's either sin or it's forgiveness. It's either Jesus or it's nothing. Making a claim to be the fulfillment of the glory cloud of God in the Old Testament is by far the most extraordinary claim somebody could make. Jesus isn't claiming to be another light. He is claiming to be the light. This imagery of light has come up before in John's Gospel. And we talked a bit about it then, but I think it's helpful to go back as the text brings it to us again and again. Not to think that we've got it all figured out the first time around, but in to be reminded again and again of what God's word has for us. So if we think about this imagery of light, perhaps a helpful illustration for us is when you get up in the middle of the night, as is often the case, especially if you have young children or need a drink, you need to go to the bathroom, right? And you go to the go to the light switch and you turn it on and you're almost never expecting how painful that bright light is going to be. It's blinding, right? You turn the light on and it exposes everything about the room, about your eyes and the size of your pupils. And it can be painful, right? But it's necessary for us to figure out and orient ourselves. And it is the same with the light of God as it exposes us for the way things truly are. Jesus came, as we were told at the beginning of John's Gospel, as a light into the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus has come and shined light into the darkness of our sinful, fallen world. And so it it reveals to us the way things truly are. It reveals our sin. It reveals our shortcomings. It reveals all of the ways in which we fail. And it is blinding. And this is a very often painful reality. When we hear God's word, when we see the words of Jesus, when he talks about dying in our sins, those aren't nice-sounding words to us. Because of the painful nature of of being exposed, it often can lead us to want to flee, to avoid the light, to turn it off. At the middle of the night, when you turn the light on and you're blinded and you turn it off again, what happens? It's even darker because your eyes are no longer adjusted to the dark. And so it is when we are exposed to God's light, we can have that reaction where we want to hide from it. But if we respond in that way, it only serves to make it darker, to push us farther into the darkness. John chapter 3, perhaps the most popular Bible verse of our age. John 3.16 begins with what we all know, but then it continues on to talk about this light. 
It says this, moving on just a few verses later, verse 19. This is the judgment against the world. Those who do not believe in Jesus are condemned already. That's what John is just, Jesus has just told us here. And he says, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And the people loved darkness rather than light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Is that not how we operate? Hiding uh, behind uh, a veil of acceptable behaviors. Not wanting to confess our sins, being full of shame, hiding the things that we've done wrong rather than coming to the light to expose them. You can think of this reality of light and, and being exposed, that things might be revealed, and, and how it can be painful, but how it's so necessary. Think about it in a medical diagnosis situation. If you go to the doctor and it's revealed that you have a tumor of some sort or some other illness, that's a painful truth to learn. You're going to have two responses to that diagnosis, especially if you catch it early on. You'll have this immediate response of terror and fear and pain. Nobody wants to receive that type of diagnosis. And yet, if, if you've come in early enough, well, perhaps it's going to be much easier to treat. Life will be preserved because it has been exposed early enough on in the process. It's painful, but it ultimately leads to life, to, to find out the reality of the situation. But if instead we think something might be wrong, just ignore it. We stay in the darkness. We don't want to get the test. It only gets worse and worse and worse. Light brings revelation to the way things are so that they can be dealt with. Jesus is the light, the very power and glory of God, and he will expose us. Now, Jesus claimed to being the light. It only matters if his claim is true. Right? Jesus is talking to a bunch of people who are skeptical about his ministry, and so he can say whatever he wants. But if it's not true, it doesn't really matter. And so that's where we see the conversation going. Jesus actually doesn't even talk about light anymore in the rest of this passage. But all of these words here that we'll get through are further explanation of how we can know these are true. That he is the light. So the Pharisees in verse 13, they say, You're bearing witness about yourself and your testimony is not true. In fact, Jesus said this same phrase essentially in John chapter 5. And it was leaning on this practice, this Old Testament law, that there needs to be two witnesses in order for something to be validated. And so they're saying, oh, we got you, Jesus. You're just talking about yourself. You're calling yourself the light. But even by your own standard, 
Your testimony is not true. You don't need to listen to him, guys. He's a liar. So Jesus answers them, and it kind of leads us into the second point, which is that Jesus leads us to the Father. Jesus has continued to refer to God as his Father time and time again, and the people seem to never quite understand what Jesus is talking about. As he begins in verse 14, he says, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Now, Jesus, again, here is making a very high claim because he agrees that, as they say here later, you judge according to the flesh. In this life, in our lived body life, according to the flesh, we need multiple witnesses. But Jesus says, you don't, you don't know who I am. If you knew who I was, you would know I don't need a second witness. It's almost to say, you know, God on the mountain gave the Ten Commandments, but they're not really true unless somebody bore witness to that. He's the very voice of God. But, Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh. But he says, my judgment is true because it's not just me alone, but my Father who sent me. He says, I am the one who bears witness about myself, but the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So Jesus is referring to his father. They don't get it. They never seem to get it. Eventually, when they get it, it enrages them that he would call God his father. And so they respond, where is your father? You keep talking about your father, but we don't see him here. And perhaps it's another jab at the potentially scandalous nature of Jesus' birth. Do you even know who your father is, Jesus? They don't understand who the Father is. Jesus goes on to tell them that, yeah, they, they don't know him and they don't know the Father. He goes on to say that in verse 28, they're not going to understand. Uh, they, you know, they don't know who sent him. But he says this, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak only as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is always equating himself with the work of God. If we want to know what the Father is like, we, have to know, we can go and listen to what Jesus says. We can see what Jesus does. Jesus is continually going on and on throughout all of these interactions for many chapters to say what he says is what the Father says. What he does is only what the Father tells him to do. These are the two witnesses that they don't understand. And ultimately, the greatest witness will be that he is willing to follow the, follow the Father's will even to the cross. Then you will know that I didn't come to seek my own glory, to seek my own will. And I'm lifted up. Remember in John chapter 1 when we read that introduction about the light? It says that he came and they didn't receive him. His own people didn't receive him. But it says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this is the great purchase that is paid in the ministry of Jesus. That as he calls God his father, so the people that he draws to himself that believe in his name, they too the Heavenly Father, that they will become children of God. Jesus leads us to the Father so that he may also become our Father. Jesus leads us to the Father. He leads us to life. He leads us to the Father, and he does so through his death. He intimates this a couple times as he's interacting with the crowd here. He says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You don't know where I'm going. Where I'm going, you can't come. Verse 21, you will seek me and you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And then we have this, this phrase here in verse 21, this little response, which... John includes so many of these ironic statements. There's such irony in the way the crowd responds to Jesus. He says, the Jews said, will he kill himself? For he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. They are beginning to understand that perhaps Jesus is talking about dying. And the idea of him killing himself is not too far removed from what is really going to happen. Not that Jesus is committing a suicide, but that Jesus is going to lay down his life. And so you will see when they have lifted up the Son of Man, they will know that I am he. That I am he. Jesus, and we see him on the cross. When they see the Son of Man lifted up, this is what Jesus is saying. They, this will reveal to them the way things truly are. When we look to the cross, we see the necessary work accomplished to secure for us the life that Jesus is promising. And those who crucify Jesus, those crowds who will chant on that day, crucify him, crucify him. When they see the cross, they're not going to see the glory of the price paid for God's people. They won't see that through Christ's death on our behalf, we have his life. Instead, they will see Jesus and they will be blinded by the darkness of their sin. Perhaps feeling justified that they finally got their man. But to those who belong to him, to those who believe in his name, they will look upon that cross and see the life, the light of the world going into the darkness. Think of the darkness of the cross and Jesus, the light of the world goes to it to bring us life. 
Interestingly, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, right after the crucifixion, there's a number of events that take place. It becomes dark, and there's an earthquake, and lots of things are detailed there. But then we have this confession from a Roman centurion, likely one of the men who just nailed Jesus to the cross perhaps a day ago. He says this, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw the way that he, would, he died, and he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. He saw the way in which Jesus died, the, the last breath he took, the words he spoke to the thief on his side, his crying out in anguish to the Father. He confessed this truly, this man was the Son of God. Jesus and his death is the, is the only way for us to have life. It's the only way for us to come to the Father. It's the only way for us to be made children. So how do we respond to this passage? What does this really have for us today? Well, I would argue there are two things that are highlighted for those who are in one of those two categories. As Jesus calls us into light instead of darkness, into life instead of death, we're told to do two things. Verse 12 reminds us that we are supposed to follow after Jesus. And perhaps the most central verse to our passage today is verse 24, which says, I, will, you, I told you, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. So we're supposed to follow, we're supposed to believe. What's interesting in this passage, uh, as it relates to many of the other encounters so far in John's Gospel, is Jesus isn't doing any miracles. He's just speaking to the people. He's just talking about the Father. He's talking about who He is. And we're told in verse 30 that as He was saying these things, many people believed in Him. They responded the way in which they must. Came to the light. Believed. And so it is for us. We must abandon the darkness. We must abandon the darkness of our unbelief and our sin. Whether for the first time or for every single moment of every single day. As sin is always at the door. As we continue to fail. We must Leave the darkness and come to the light. Just as Israel walked in the wilderness, following after the light, so it is for us, we must follow after where Jesus is leading us. Out of our sin and darkness and in to the exposing light of his glory. And we're only able to do that if we can confess, as we had done earlier today, that we have no light in ourselves. Too often, the way in which we are blinded to Jesus and the light and the exposed nature of our sin is because we think we have light in ourselves. We have other things to Show us what really is going on. But we must confess as we come to Jesus that our good works produce no light. Our ability to reason and think about who God is must bring no light. Jesus is the source of light, the source of light and life. 
We come to Him as those in need, willing to be exposed. We come crying out as those who not only are being exposed by light, but we come to the one, the only one that can bring us to the Father, the only one that can do this because he is the one who laid down his life. He embraced death on our behalf, bore on himself all of the judgments of our sin so that we might have life. His light, his life, his righteousness, And his father becomes ours. This is the good news. This is what Jesus has come to do. To obey the father perfectly that he might bring in for him many sons. Will we come out of the darkness? Will we leave behind our own sense of self-worth and be exposed by the light? May God give us the grace to do so. May he remind us of the life that his spirit pours out into his people. May we trust in his righteousness alone. That's the only way we can be made right with the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is a a light to us, to expose us, that we might be changed. Give us the grace to come to you, to follow the light through the darkness of our own lives and our world. Help us to follow and believe. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.